So today is, is Pentecost, and um, uh, Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50, um, and it is our 50th, it's the 50th day since Easter, um, plus or minus, it's actually 49, but I guess in the Bible times, numbers were rounder than they are today. So it is the 50th day, it's the Feast of Pentecost, um, but at Pentecost, we don't pay much attention to the word 50, except in the name. Uh, Pentecost really kind of uh, drops out of our sight, because what we focus on at Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, we have the, the red, the red coloration. Some people are wearing red clothes because it is to commemorate the little tongues of flames that were seen on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. They, they, they weren't flames, they got tongues as a flame, but we imagine that that was probably red, and so we have the red color as our symbol for Pentecost. Um, we, we just looked at that, that story, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, a couple of weeks ago, so you can listen to that online if you're interested. But uh, the, the way we looked at it then was we looked at the, what, what Peter's role in it was and how Peter began to see how God was at work in um, his story, or rather, he found himself caught up in God's story, and that's what he was telling the people at Pentecost. So that's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Today we're going to look at the other part of it, the, the big part, the Holy Spirit part. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, uh, the reason is because of our first reading. Our first reading um, is kind of a, a flashback to what happened on Easter. John tells us that on Easter, the evening of Easter, says on Sunday of that, uh, the first day of the week, um, so, so John says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. And then they showed them his wounds, and um, they were overjoyed. And again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus says to the church, There is a task that is so important that I left heaven to come here to do it. I left all the, the joys and privileges and, and honor that I receive in heaven and came down here because it's that important. And I didn't finish it. I couldn't do it. And I need you to finish it for me. Now, Jesus did the most important part. Jesus did the hardest part, but he didn't finish the job. And he says, it's on you. No pressure. It's the most important job in the history of jobs. It's the most important work in the world, and it's on you to finish it. So that's what Jesus says back in Easter. And then he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, and now... 50 days later, we're looking at what does that mean? When the Holy Spirit actually comes, what does that mean? So, Jesus has given us this big job. It is too big of a job for Jesus to think about that. A job that Jesus could finish. He brought people back from the dead. He healed. He turned water into wine. Jesus did all kinds of stuff. He couldn't finish this job. The reason is because of the nature of the job. The job is to make disciples of all nations. All nations means every tribe, tongue, people group, anything that, that people are organized into around the world, across the whole world, everybody. And Jesus, when he became one of us, he took on all of our limitations. Jesus could not be in Texas and Australia at the same time. He just couldn't, and neither can we. So it's an impossible job that way. It's also impossible because, I don't know about you, but I don't speak Australian. Okay, and I don't speak uh, Andalusian. I'm trying to think of other countries that are going to say uh, Austrian. So, uh, 
German, I guess. Anyway, um, Jesus, Jesus uh, couldn't finish the job because it was a big job, but also because the world's a complicated place. You've got to go to lots of places. You've got to uh, learn how people talk there. You've got to learn the customs. You've got to learn how to not give offense. We just, um, uh, earlier this year, we had a celebration in um, Barrow where, where there was an apology issued by our church because of the kind of clumsy way that early missionaries um, uh, treated people in Alaska when they came here spreading the gospel. So if you're going to do it well and not leave as many scars as you leave healing, then it's going to take you some time just to figure out how to do that for each people group you bump into. But Jesus said you've got to get them all. And by the way, all isn't just the ones who are alive today. This is their children and their children's children and so forth. So if you ever plan to die, or you maybe don't plan for it, but you think it might happen between now and when Jesus returns, you cannot do this job. It is the most important job in the world. It's the most important job there has ever been. And you can't do it. Nobody can do this job. And that brings us to Pentecost. Because this job is too big for anyone. But it's not too big for everyone. Because see, anyone doesn't exist. Anyone is a generic person, and there are no generic people. You've never met a generic person. Anyone doesn't exist, but everyone does. And this job is the right job for everyone. One of the things about the job being assigned to everyone. Jesus breathed on all of his disciples. He didn't say, Peter, come over here. I've got a job for you. He took all of his disciples, met with them all, and said, this job is laid on all my disciples. One of the good things about that is we know from our study of Peter recently and the other disciples is that they were like us. They were mixed bags. I mean, they had their strengths. Peter and Paul were certainly great Christians. But they had their weaknesses. We've seen as we study uh, uh, the, the life of Peter that even after the resurrection, Peter was still a religious bigot. Peter was still a hypocrite. We know Paul was a hothead. We know that Paul, because of his temperament, Paul was undependable. If you were counting on Paul the preacher this Sunday, you'd probably be out of luck because probably what would have happened is Saturday he would have started a riot. And he would have gotten run out of town and maybe just barely escaped from the town. Because, because of that, Paul was undependable. If you needed Paul, he might wind up going somewhere else. And you might hear from him in here when he writes a letter to you, know, a letter to the Jewelatians or something, right? But, but that would be it because we know that they were mixed bags. They had their strengths, certainly. God knows they had their strengths. But like us, they had their weaknesses. And when you think about this, if you think, okay, well, it's true, anyone can do the job, but everyone can, that kind of is, is maybe asking a lot, because we're assuming that the weaknesses and the strengths cancel out, right? I'm weak, but you're strong in this area. I'm, I'm strong in this area, but you're weak in this area. And somehow we assume that all cancels out. But if you've ever been in a committee, if you've ever had a job, you know that the person next to you, they may have their strengths, but... But maybe they aren't canceled out by, by your, they don't cancel out your weaknesses, and vice versa. That, that it's asking a lot to assume that just because there's a bunch of us, that our strengths and our weaknesses will all cancel out, and we'll be able to do this so important job. 
is Pentecost. At Pentecost, you remember, the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit breathes His gifts into us. Jesus breathed, we read in John's Gospel, He says, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, John is sometimes a confusing, now, John is always a confusing book to me, but, but, when John says that, we don't know if John's talking about something that happened the night of Easter, or is John uh, just kind of summarizing the next 50 days and saying, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts, we see a much more detailed explanation of what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they received these different gifts of languages and so forth. And Paul says that was a continuing thing in the life of the church. He says that, that the... Um, that the believers are given a gift. So even if our strengths and our weaknesses cancel each other out, there's more going on than that. There's something else that's a part of the picture that makes it possible to do this impossible job. So he says, he says, um, he says, I want you to know no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's about to talk about how different people have different gifts. So he's saying that there's a limit to how different those gifts can be. If you bump into somebody and they're saying, Jesus is not Lord, um, but they say that they are empowered by the Spirit, he says, well, there are boundaries on how different some of these gifts can be. But he says, within those big, broad boundaries, he says this, he says that, that there's um, a variety. He says there's different kinds of spiritual gifts. The same Spirit is the source of them. He gives examples. He says, one person is given the, the gift of wisdom. Somebody else, um, a spiritual gift is given so we can help each other. To one person is given the ability to give wise advice. Another person has special knowledge and so forth. He, he makes a little list here of various spiritual gifts. Later on in the chapter, he gives a different list, and there's a couple of other lists elsewhere in the New Testament. So I don't think any of these lists are supposed to be a complete list. I think they're just illustrations of the way that the Spirit gives us these gifts so that we can help one another, so that we can accomplish this job that if all we're doing is canceling out each other's strengths and weaknesses, we couldn't do. So, he says we're given these different gifts by the Spirit so we can do this work. And he says it is the Holy Spirit who decides which gift each person should have. The reason he's saying is that we're not a collection of people. We're not a crowd that has been assembled to do the work where the strengths and weaknesses cancel out. He says we're different. We are collectively the parts of the body of Christ. That a nose is different from an ear, and an eye is different from a hand. You would expect that. But they are part of this same body. So it's not the same thing as in a crowd. You wouldn't expect a hand to be an ear. And so it's not a question of weakness or strength. It's a question of does it do its function. So he says the metaphor that we need to look at is not a crowd of people working together on a project, but a body doing what it's designed to do. So he says, we are collectively the body of Christ. And that brings us to the title I gave this message. Some of you may recognize it. It was a social media meme a couple of years ago. Um, it's Never Skip Leg Day. Just out of curiosity, how many people saw that social media meme back when it was already a couple of hands going? So you know, you know where this is headed. What happened is a couple of years ago, somebody posted the, the, this first picture um, online somewhere. They were showing off, uh, can you show the picture? So they were showing off how, how incredibly uh, uh, 
I'm fit they are. I have some bodybuilder. Look at look at those look at those guys. So, um, but somebody else posted a follow-up to it. Um, they posted the next version. They they wrote on it. They said never skip leg day. And, and in context, you see this is actually um, compared to his upper body, this do look a little wimpier. So this also shows, this also shows one of the flaws of social media. I would never tell that person anything that might cause any any anxiety or hurt feelings. But on social media, I can just be as mean as I want to. So, um, so somebody posted this never skip like day, and then apparently there's a lot of bodybuilders like this. So people started posting pictures of other bodybuilders with these great big upper bodies and uh, of the lower bodies, and it became it kind of took on a life of its own the way a lot of social media media do. So the next picture um, shows. <laughs> And then the next one, um, it shows not even Superman like this. So Superman, really big on top and kind of wimpy on the bottom. And finally, I think the ultimate comment just kind of brings us back to Peter, our, our audacious chicken Peter. Never skip leg day. So, so um, that's the idea. But if you think of if you think of the church as a body of Christ, what does that mean for us? You know, there is this principle that, that if I'm a bodybuilder person, if I go to the gym, I want to look really good, and I'm going to concentrate in the areas that I think make me look good. And then there's other parts of, of my body that I'm just not going to care that much about. No one sees me when I'm wearing pants, but they notice just how bulky I am. And so I'm going to get the most um, bang for the buck. I'm going to get the best results for my bodybuilding hour by concentrating on my upper body, right? Get those massive biceps, right? But I won't do the work of making my legs as fit, as bulky, whatever the word is, as my upper body. So there's this there's this problem we have, which is I think a lot of us want to skip leg day. You know, whatever whatever that looks like in your life. You know, maybe you're on a diet and it's not skipping leg day. It's um, it's not skipping dinner, uh, or dessert, or something like that. So whatever that looks like, there's things where we say, look, I, I don't want to concentrate on doing the work as much as I want the, the quick benefit. So, so in the context of the body of Christ, what does that look like? Well, there's a there's a, a notion, there's a there's a saying that people throw around in the church that says um, that eighty percent of the work is done by twenty percent of the people. That is a that is a, a part of the what is called the Pareto principle. There's a Italian mathematician named Pareto, somebody Pareto, and he came up with this idea that in a lot of different sort of uh, uh, fields, there there is this inverse relationship where where a lot of the work takes um, very little time, but a little of the work takes a lot of time, or more people are whatever. So the, the Pareto principle says that, that for example, twenty percent of the of the uh, work takes 80% of the time. And so the way people apply that in the church is they say 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I can tell you that's not true here. I don't know if that's true in other churches, but I went through our list. Right? I've got a list of who, who worships in this church. And there's about 74 people who regularly worship in this church. Uh, they, they take role every week. Right? And, I, and periodically we move somebody to the yeah, we know who they are, but they really aren't regular attenders. They show up, you know, Easter, Christmas, but they're not regular. You know, 
So we kind of ease them out of that 74 category. There's about 30 people whose names we know who are not really regular attenders. But there's about 74 people who regularly attend here on any given week, not this week, but on any given week, <laughs> on any given week we have about 45 people in worship. So I went through the list, and I just said, I know for a fact that person does this job in the church. And about 34 of those 74 do regular, uh, committed, assigned work in the church. They have volunteered to do a particular task in the church. So 34 out of 74, I'm not good at math, but that's around half. Okay, so about half. It's not an 80-20, it's about a 50-50. So first of all, to those of you who are in the, the top half, the, the good half, the Christian half, <laughs> For those of you who are in the, the, the half that regularly volunteers, I want to talk to you first. I want to talk to you about your role in the body of Christ. Because my concern for you is that the body of Christ might wind up looking like Superman and the two bodybuilders or the Hulk. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're working in the church. I'm glad you're serving in the church. But my question for you is, are you serving out of your giftedness? Because if you're not I'm glad you've been willing to help us out in a crisis. That something came up, somebody wasn't here, somebody was vacationing, and you said, well, I can do that, and I need you have. And I am so grateful that people pitch in to make the church function. But that's not the model that Paul has in mind. That's not the model we learn about at Pentecost. The model of Pentecost is that God doesn't want us exerting our own power and our own efforts to do the work of the church. It's too important. So he says, God gives you a gift. And so my question is, is your job easy? Is the thing you do in this church enjoyable? Do you get energy from it? Or does it take energy from you? Because God wants you to have that kind of job. God wants you to serve in a church that acts in a way that energizes you. And if it doesn't, then I give you permission to quit. Let me ask you, give notice. <laughs> give notice. But say, look, you know, July 1st comes, or better yet, September 1st comes, and I'm going to find something else to do, because I am just not enjoying this work. I don't feel gifted. I don't think that God wants me to be doing this work. And trust that the Holy Spirit will equip somebody else with the gift that makes them enjoy that work. Sometimes it's, that's a that's an act of faith right there. The thought that anybody could stand this job. Right? <laughs> I am so sick of doing this work. The thought that anybody else could even stand it is, is really an act of faith. So maybe that's a place where you just need to believe. Believe that the Holy Spirit will equip somebody else to do that job. And then quit. And then go find the job that the Holy Spirit wants you to do half. And how do you do that? Well, let me talk to the other half. Okay. The people who are kind of more like the legs. Okay. Christians serve. And I know some of you have unique circumstances where you can't. Some of you, you just don't have the physical health to be able to serve in the jobs that you're thinking about. But the scriptures are clear. Christians serve. Jesus says he came the king of the universe. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for Christian serve. And if you're in a season of your life, if something's going on in your life where you can't serve, that's great. 
let us serve you. But that should be a season. That should be a temporary thing that happens for some small window of your life. Now, I live on planet Earth. I know you're busy. Okay? And what I would tell you to do is, first of all, this is going to require you to make a sacrifice. You're too busy to take on something else. I know you. And so I'm saying, prioritize what you're doing. Find something that is less important than the most important job in the world. Find something else that you can give up. And quit doing that and take on some kind of service in the church. Let me tell you something else. I think a lot of times we say, I did that. I served my time. I, I believe in purgatory because I've already been here. Right? I worked in the church for a while. Okay. My guess is you are watching people who were serving out of their human strength, out of their human capacity, and not out of their giftedness. And I'm not asking you to go back to that kind of job. I'm not asking you to learn from people who have been doing that. I'm asking you, like I asked them, find the place where God makes it look easy for you. Where people look at you and say, I don't know how she gets so much done. There's nobody else in this church who could possibly do that job as easily and as well as she does. And then you find where God has equipped you to do the same thing with the So find a place you can serve. Because God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be shrink. God wants people God wants you to cause people to do a double thing. There should be no spiritual wimps in the church. Nobody should look like Superman's legs. Everybody should look like Superman's chest. That's what God wants us all to be. God wants all of us to never stick like you. It's the most important work the church could possibly do. It's the most important work you could do. So find a job that brings you joy. Find a job that exercises your gifts and do it. If you're not, you have my permission. Quit that job and find that other job. Right now, it takes about 34 of us to keep this church functioning. And if you are not serving, or if you're serving out of your own strength, out of just a, a can-do attitude, imagine how much more impact this church could have in the lives of the people around you the lives of our family and friends, the lives of people we don't even know. If everyone, if this church was firing on all cylinders, if everybody was serving, not out of their human strength, but out of the giftedness of God, imagine the impact this church could have if we all looked like Superman's chest. <clears throat> Gracious God, we give thanks for the Holy Spirit. Um, and we pray, Lord, you would guide us into the places where you have gifted us to serve in the church. Help us to, to do this work, not out of our own strength, but out of your gifting. We pray that through Christ our Lord, for his sake. Amen. Amen.